Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Isaiah chapter 54. This is where we find ourselves in our series called Going Deeper, Isaiah 54. Uh, we, we've listened to the context of this passage last week, and I'm not going to jump into the context like I did, the historical, cultural context like I did last week, but, but this is a passage that we've been reading. This is the passage that I've been saying. This is kind of the anthem God has brought our church for 2019. I, I, I revealed this at Vision Sunday, but uh, I'm, just, I'm just fully convinced that God, this is something that God wants to permeate into all of our hearts and lives, that this is a, a passage in 2019 that is going to continue to lead us to launch us to guide us. And I'm not just believing this year, but the years to come. This is a, a very prophetic passage. This is a, a timely passage that God wants to bring to this church. And as you're turning your Bibles to Isaiah 54, let me, let me just quickly uh, ask this question. Do we have any handy men or handy women in this church? Like you're just really good with a hammer or you're really good with a, a power drill. I'm not going to ask you to work on anything, so don't, don't worry. Like, so like, I'm afraid about pastor like, telling me to go get to work after this. Like, no, uh, just, just a question. Uh, anybody, anybody handy around this place? Okay, cool, very cool. My wife and I go back and forth as to who's the handy one in, in the household. She, she, she says that the tools that we have in our home are her tools, but I'm like, Katie, they're not your tools. So we go back and forth, and, and she's, she's pretty handy. Uh, she, she uses command strips for everything, and uh, I hate command strips. I'm like, just, just put an anchor in the wall, please, right? Like, that's just the way my dad, like, my dad would always get mad if we put command strips or sticky, anything sticky. So just use anchors, and, and, and everybody on my staff seems to love command strips. I'm the only one that believes in anchors, but I'm not bitter or anything. So... Um, <laughs> But I, I'm not the most handy person. I, I, I enjoy it when I get a chance to. But, but there are times where I am more handy than other times, right? When I'm building something that has significant value, I'm going to be super meticulous. But for the most part, if, I, if I'm building something and I have to assemble it myself, I usually just look at the picture. Anybody else with me? Like you're, you're probably just going to look at the picture. You're not going to spend time reading the instructions um, unless you're building something important, right? Like unless you're building a bike for your kid, unless it's like your least favorite kid, in which case that's probably not good. Um, there's things that I've built in my house that I, I like, a, like a, a cabinet. I, I don't care. I'm just going to look at the picture. But uh, there was one time where I, I had to build a, uh, my wife and I, we won a, you ever see those, those really cool like lawn chair or lounge chairs that um, they're like a, a hammock on a metal frame and they got an umbrella on top and they're just like really, really, you can see them at Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, my wife and I won one of those. At a at a like a marriage conference one time, and um, my wife was pregnant at the time, and she's like, "You're gonna build these, and you're gonna read the instructions." And I'm like, "You're absolutely right, because um, you're with child, and uh, I want I want us to have this kid." So so I had two to build. I won two of them, one for myself and one for her, and I just eyeballed mine. I'm like, I, "This one's gonna be mine." I put it's like assembled with duct tape. Like, like, I didn't really care. And then when I went to go build Katie's, I was super meticulous. I was, I was following the instructions. And in fact, I wasn't just reading the English instructions, but I even went to Spanish just to make sure I was hitting every, like there was no detail missing. And then, and then I pulled out like a, a Mandarin dictionary. And I'm just like making sure that, that there is no detail missed. Cause I want, I like, this is something like, it's, it's not just the, the piece of equipment. It's, it's the one who's going to sit on top of it that I care about. And I want to be safe. So I'm, I'm getting super meticulous 
ridiculous because she's the one that I love and I want to make sure that I'm building right. Everybody say, build right. God is calling us to build right. He doesn't want us to just look at the picture of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. He wants to go straight to the instructions. He wants us to go straight to the manual and be super meticulous about how we are building. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says specifically, Paul is telling the church in Corinth, he says, listen, I laid a a good foundation and, and now you are careful to build upon it. We need to be careful on how we are building on what the Lord has laid. And even in this church, I'm saying this, in this season that we find ourselves in, and especially in this passage in Isaiah 54, God's desire is for your family and for this church to build carefully. In Isaiah 54, the way I see it, it's broken, around, it's broken up into three parts. We're only going to be spending time in verses 1 through 5 for the next couple of weeks, but uh, let's, let's go ahead and read this passage, and then I will show you how it's broken up into parts. So starting in verse 1, the passage says this, Rejoice, childless one who did not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the forsaken one will be more than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Now, the way I see it, this is part one of Isaiah 54, verses one through five. There's three parts. This is part one. And if I had to kind of uh, give a a title for just that verse one, if I had to label what verse one is saying, I I would simply say this. What we see in verse one, what, what Isaiah the prophet is saying is this, rejoice before you receive. Rejoice before you receive. We said earlier that it makes sense in, 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 in our culture to be individuals that receive first. We get that, we get that, that pay raise or, that, or we get that promotion or whatever it is, and then we re- rejoice, right? We receive first and then we rejoice. But here we see the Lord flipping the script and saying, I want you to rejoice first and then receive. You notice that he doesn't say in verse one um, to, uh, that, that he doesn't say in verse one that, that you will be with child and then rejoice, he is saying the exact opposite. He starts off with rejoice, and then he tells us why. This is the same paradigm that the Lord wants us to ascribe to, that no matter what results you've been given, no matter, no matter what is going on, God is still worthy of worship. He is still worthy to be the one who we rejoice over. So no matter what you're being told, no matter what's happening, and I'm not saying you just paint a face uh, on, you, don't, you don't paint a smile on your face. I told you last week that there have been some of the most meaningful times of worship in my life where with clenched fists and just tear-filled eyes where, where I just chose to worship him despite the circumstance and, and believe that he is still faithful, that he, although my situation changes and things are up and down and there's valleys and, 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 and peaks, that, that regardless of what I'm walking through, he is still the same God, that he does not change and he is always worthy of my worship. So we said that. We are always gonna be people who rejoice before we receive. And I know that in this room that that may be difficult for you where you're at right now. But if we would just step out of our circumstance and look at the one who holds it, we can see that he is always and has always been and always will be deserving of our rejoicing. Amen? So that's part one. Rejoice before you receive. And then part two is where we're going to be spending time now. He starts here. 
Isaiah continues on in verse 2. He says, so, so now he, he's, he's shifting. He's, he's shifting from the reaction to now the responsibility. He, he's moving from, from, okay, rejoicing, receiving, and now he's telling us how to receive. He's, he's telling us what to do. And look what he says in verse 2. He says, enlarge the sight of your tent. Let your tent curtains be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your ropes and drive your pegs deep. There he is giving us five commands, five actions. These are verbs. These are things that we are supposed to do. And he says there quickly, I mean, if you just look, look what he says. He says, enlarge, stretch out, don't hold back, lengthen your ropes, drive your pegs deep. He's now giving us an action. He's saying, listen, here is how you receive what I'm about to bring. Remember, he just gave a promise. You will have children, the one who was barren, the one who did not have anything, the one who had no reason to rejoice. I want you to start rejoicing. And now the Lord is giving us our responsibility. It's to make room. And this is what I would label part two. Make room to receive. Everybody say, make room to receive. Make room to receive. This is something that we all do. When you go grocery shopping, especially when you go to Aldi's, because they don't give you any grocery bags, like, which I'm not bitter or anything, but just annoying that I always have to find a box or buy one when I'm there and spend a dollar on, but hey, the groceries are cheap, so I love Aldi's. This is a shameless plug, hoping that they hear this and give me some free groceries, because they got three kids in the house, and they, they ain't cheap. So um, if you're hearing this, Mr. Aldi, throw something this way. Anyway, um, we, we do this when we go grocery shopping, right? Like how many of you make room in the trunk and you're just like, okay, I got to make sure I got to get this out, get this, this, these tools out so I can have room for these groceries. How many of you also do this? Uh, just naturally, we do this. Uh, when you started, when your wife was pregnant, how many of you went out and bought a different car? Because you're just like, this four-door sedan ain't going to hold this, this eight-inch child any longer. Like, like we're running out of room. We better get a, uh, another, another vehicle. And it's exactly what Katie and I did. We, did, we kind of like fell off the, the Dave Ramsey bandwagon for just like an hour. And we're just like, we walked shamelessly into a, a car dealer. And we, we bought a Ford Explorer because our, our, our Ford 500 did not, wasn't going to fit August, right? Even though it was. It was paid off. Why did we do this? Um, but we bought a Ford Explorer because we're like, we're not going to have room for him, so, so we got to buy a new car. We're, we're making room to receive the child that is cooking for nine months. And then, and then guess what happened? Uh, we, we thought that a Ford Explorer was, was good enough, but then, but then the Lord brought us Desmond, and then the Lord brought us Aubrey, and we're like, we got to make room to receive. So we went out and bought a minivan, and that was the best purchase of my life. Listen, if you want to, I'll give you a ride. Like, I love driving that thing. I, I have no shame in being a dad who drives a minivan. I, I, I embrace that. I love it. I, eventually, I want to get, like, the stickers of, like, Star Wars figures of all my kids and my family and a dog. Jedi, I'm going to do that someday, but not now, because not right now. Uh, uh, we make room to receive, right? Any, any minivan owners? We make room. Yes, I'll be like, gave fist pumps. Like, yes. We make room to receive things. And here the Lord is saying the exact same thing. I'm about to bring increase, says the Lord. I'm about to bless you. Uh, so don't just rejoice about what's coming. Make room. Get, get ready to receive. And, and now he, he gives a proclamation about how we are to get ready. And the first thing he says is enlarge the sight of your tent. I wanted so badly to squeeze every single point in verse 2 into one message. And the more I began to pray about this series, the more I began to pray on, on, in the place of study on Thursday, the Holy Spirit started to say to me, uh, spend time in each one. 
Spend time in each one. So this series is going from a three-week series to a seven-week series. You're welcome. It's gonna, I'm, but I'm, I promise you, the Lord wants to give us some, some specific commands. We are called to build well. And I don't want to just fly through the instruction manual. I want to spend time and allow these, these passages to just permeate into our lives. So the first thing we are doing today is just looking at that first part. We're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, in, in just part two. But the first thing I want us to see is enlarge the site of your tent. Next week, we're gonna talk about allowing the curtains to be stretched out and what that means, and then obviously the week after that, do not hold back, and then lengthen your ropes, and then drive your pegs deep. But I want us to spend time in enlarging the site of your tent. Enlarge the site of your tent. So let's read this one more time. Enlarge the site of your tent. Let your tent curtains be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your ropes and drive your pegs deep for you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will dispossess nations and inhabit the desolate cities. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. He really does. Now I know that there's Sometimes, and I was guilty of this at, at one point in my relationship with the Lord, there was a, a visceral reaction. It would kind of turn my stomach when I would hear someone say, God wants to bless you, because I, I was used to hearing uh, televangelists who, who would kind of twist the blessing to mean that, that God wants to put a Rolls Royce in your driveway, and, and you're just like, oh, but does he really? There's like Christians who are suffering around the world, and they don't got a Rolls Royce. Like, they don't have anything to eat. Does God really want to bless us? And there was something that was wrong with my interpretation of Scripture. Uh, when, when you just interpret blessing to be financial, you are missing out on greater blessings. God wants to bring, yes, yes, he wants to, to provide for you. Listen, God does want to bless you financially, and God does want to do those things, but if you reduce and limit the blessing of God to just that, you are missing out on so much more. He wants to bless you with his presence. He wants to bring you the abundant life, and the abundant life isn't just more Benjamins in the back pocket. The abundant life is more of his relationship, more of his presence, the ability to walk with joy, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Like God wants to to, to give you more joy of himself. This is what it means to be blessed. But he wants to bless you. He's a good father. You, I, I mean, I look around and I see beautiful people, people that I know, and I, and I know that you're generous and that you love to give and you would give you the shirt off your back to people. You are a very generous person. But let me just say this. You are not more generous than God. You may be a good father yourself or a good mother. You may be great parents and give a sacrifice to give your children everything. But can I just say this? Our God will always outgive you. Our God is always going to be more generous than you are. And that should bring peace to us. Because I don't have to work as if it depends on me. But trust that my father cares about me. That he's concerned with my plight. That he sees that even in those moments where I got more month at the end of my money, that, that, that he's going to still provide and care and that he's going to dust me off when I get dirty and I mess things up. He cares about me. He wants to bless you. And he also wants to bless this church. What do I mean by blessing this church? He wants to give us more of his presence, for one. And we receive that. One of our values is intimacy with God. We make room in what we are doing to focus on what Jesus is doing. 
This, I believe we had a blessing today where we were able to rejoice with Paul and thank the Lord that he is healing his body and that he's healing the dozens of hands that have gone up and saying, I'm believing for, he wants to bless this church. But I, I, I wanna be honest, the Lord doesn't just bless us with more of his presence in this church, he also wants to bring increase to this body. I love every single person in this room, but when I look around, I still see green chairs The Lord doesn't love a green chair. He loves what sits on top of it. And I'm believing that he wants to bring increase to this body, that he wants these chairs to be filled with people who who would come to know him as Lord and Savior, that we are going to see the dead come to life, that we are going to see individuals who are are nearly giving up on life find joy, find peace, find increase and blessing. God wants to bless this body. And listen, uh, you may hear that that, that, that notion of of a church growing, and you may have a visceral reaction, kind of like when I talked about God wants to bless you. And a part of that is probably because you, you've seen or maybe you've been a part of churches that just grow, 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 and, and it feels like you're just a cog in, in, in the machine and that, and that it's, it's just like nasty and churches only care about nickels and noses. Listen, just because some churches have abused growth doesn't mean we stray from the mission. God still wants to see people saved. He wants to grow the body of Christ. He cares about the lost. You know how I know? Because the word of God tells me. The, gird, the, the word of God tells me that God wants to grow this church. Look what he says in 1 Peter 3, 9. The first thing is this. God wants all people to be saved. Can you say that? God wants all people to be saved. That is his heart. 1 Peter 3, 9 tells us this. The Lord isn't really being slow. What, what, what is he talking about here? Second Peter, he, he's talking about this. People were denying that Jesus was coming again because they're like, man, it's been about 40 years, or at this point it would have been 70 years. Uh, Jesus hasn't returned. Is, is he just like slow? They're, they're almost being antagonistic, saying he's not coming at all. Uh, and, and Peter is addressing that, that belief that Jesus wasn't coming, and he's saying, listen, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. He said he was coming. He says, as some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. The reason why Jesus has not returned is because he is being patient for your sake. Why? He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. The ESV would say he wants none to perish. The reason why Christ has not come, when we know that Jesus will return, we don't know the hour or the day, but I'm telling you, we are living in the last days, and Jesus' return is imminent. It can happen at any moment. But the reason why he has not come is not because he's forgotten about us or because he wants the church to suffer. The reason why he has not returned is because he is patient, because he wants the lost people of Wichita to come to know Jesus. He wants all people to be saved. That is his desire. His greatest desire is that all of his children would come to know Jesus. He wants all to be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, look what he says. Paul is telling that Timothy, the young pastor, his protege, he's saying this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for some people. Look what it says here. I urge you, first of all, to pray for, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Notice that he's not just saying, pray for the church, pray for the, for the Christians, 
Pray for all people. Intercede on their behalf and and give thanks for them. Give thanks for them. Give thanks for them. It's, It's important not just to pray for people, but to thank the Lord for people, even those that are driving you bonkers. Thank you, Lord. Not one of those like Southern kind of like, bless their soul, you know, like, but, but God, thank you. They're made in your image. You love them. Help me to love them the way you do. Give thanks for all people. And look what he says in verse three. This is good and pleases God, our savior, who wants who? Everyone to be saved and understand the truth. If there is someone you know that isn't saved, and you've been praying for, you've been interceding on their behalf. I mean, your, your knees are bruised and bloody because you're just pleading for them to be saved. Did you know this? God still wants them to be saved more than you ever will. God wants the, this is the heart of the Father. He wants all people to be saved. And it's not just a New Testament thing. Even in the Old Testament, we see a God who loves the lost. Ezekiel 33, verse 11 As surely as I live, look what the Lord says. As surely as I live, says the Lord, the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. He doesn't even want wicked people. Like, he doesn't take any joy of that. He's not a a sadistic, uh, uh, masochist God. Like, he, he wants, look what he says here. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Our God wants all people to be saved. And my point here is this. If God's ultimate desire is for all people to be saved, then we too should desire all people to be saved. This reality should change how we live. This reality should change how we live. It should change everything about us, how we, how we interact with people on social media, what we, uh, what we think about when we think of politics. Like, I mean, I mean this reality should change everything. It, it really should be the focus of our lives. Listen, uh, I, I'm called to be a pastor, but did you know you're in ministry too? It may be my responsibility. Ephesians 4.11 says that God has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers but it doesn't say so that they can be the only ones that care about the lost. It says so that they will raise up the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. Friends, I'm here to tell you that God is calling us to enlarge the site of our tent. He is saying that, that, that the current parameters that you've established in this place need to go beyond where they are now because the Lord wants to bring increase. And it's not just the one who sits at the top or the one who sits from a pulpit that should be concerned. This is our concern. My number one desire this Mother's Day Sunday is that each and every one of us would have a greater heart for the lost than we have when we walked in. That we would allow our heart to resonate with the heart of our Father. That enlarging the sight of our tent first starts when we enlarge the size of our heart. And I know work can be stressful. And I know some of you are, are in a place in a season where you're just like, man, I, I wish I had a different job. And for some reason, it's not coming and you're, you're kind of shaking your fist at God saying, why, why hasn't this opportunity come? Why am I still in this situation? I've, I've been going to school and I'm, I'm trying to get out of here. Listen, 
Maybe the reason why you're still in that place is because God has, has placed you there for a purpose and it's a person. But I'm telling you, when we walk with eyes that are fixated on a mission and not just about attaining more money or more resources and we're, we're fixated on a mission, like, like, like you're not a business person, you, you are a follower of Christ who's in business and, and, and you're not a fighter, you're, you're someone who, who loves Jesus and, and, and you fight for his glory. And you're not just someone who works at a bank. You're not a banker. You're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus who happens to be employed at a bank. He is our mission. Oh, that we would be men and women whose desires are the desires of the God who saved us. That we would have a heart for all people. Enlarging the sight of our tent starts there by enlarging the size of our heart to say, God, Bring the increase. Pastor Terry, my pastor, has brought this incredible point regarding church health and church growth. He says this, the success of the harvest isn't measured by how much is brought into the barn, but by how much is left in the field. Listen to this. The success of the harvest. Like, I, I look around and we got it. We got a pretty, we, it's pretty full in this place. But here's what I believe the Lord is, is leading Pastor Terry and saying. This is what he's saying. The success of the church isn't measured by how many people are in the church, but by how many are still out of the church. I will never be a pastor that feels like we've done enough until I know that this entire city is saved. We will never be a church that, that rests on our accolades and says we, we, we've done as, as much as we can. No, no, no. We are focused on the mission. We want all people to be saved. We aren't done. We want to continue to see lives transformed for the kingdom. Jesus is coming soon, and he's given us time to work for his kingdom, for his purposes. So no matter what you are doing right now in life, you've got a responsibility. You've got a mission. Maybe you, you're kind of fr frustrated. Maybe you have a degree and you're a mom who's at home right now and you're just like, I'm just, I'm just waiting to these kids grow up so that I can get a job. No, you have a kingdom calling Amen. to reach the lost. We all have responsibility. Can we stand? This is the mission. Matthew 28, I want to I read this to you. Jesus was ascending to the Father, and he says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is the mission of the body of Christ. This should be the mission of every believer. Your mission is not just to live a moral life. If, if you've reduced the mission of Christianity to just be someone who, who lives well, like, like that, that's, that's a sub-mission, a, a sub-category. And can I just say this? The more you are living out the mission, you submit yourself to the submission. The more you are focused on the mission of God, you will live a more moral life. And for some reason, the church has, has flipped this through the holiness movement. We're just like, we're just going to live holy, 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 but yet you haven't done anything for the kingdom of God. 
the climax of Christianity isn't moral behavior and behavior modification. It's the kingdom of heaven. And the more fixated you are on the kingdom and, his, and the king and his purposes, you will live out the rest of that stuff. That's absolutely important, yes. But I'm here to tell you, you are called to a mission. And the first thing we see there is that we would enlarge the site of our tent. How do we do that? How do we enlarge the site of our tent? The last thing is this. We enlarge the site of our tent. Well, let me give you an illustration. When we did the, the, the renovation out there, I didn't just go out there and say, eh, I kind of want to knock down this wall and put an outlet there. And you know what would be really nice there? A fireplace. Let's add four fireplaces. That would be awesome, right? Like, like, let's knock this wall down. I didn't just go with a hammer. Actually, I did go with a hammer and knock walls down, but that was just a demo. But when we started building, you know what we had? Blueprints. Blueprints. How do we enlarge the side of our tent? I feel like the Lord would say to us, look at the blueprints. He's given us directives on how to go about the building. How to go about the building. So, so see the blueprints. Jeremiah 29, 11. How do we get the blueprints? We go to God. We pray. We, we, we seek him out. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, and, and you have heard this, and maybe you focused on, 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 on the giftings. Look what it says. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, you may be someone, and your eyes immediately go to the, the prosper part, and you go to the to not harming and the, the planning and the, and the future, but, but can we just look at this passage and note the first thing that it says? The Bible says, for I know the plants. God knows the plants. He is the one who holds the blueprints. And if we would just humble ourselves, Maybe you're struggling right now because you're just like, God, I'm, I'm working and nothing's working out for me. Well, maybe you haven't gone to the one who holds the plans. Maybe you're working as if it depends on you. But God is the one who holds the plans. He holds the blueprints. We also see in, in Galatians 5.25, it says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is a militaristic term. The same way you would see uh, soldiers march in place and when one in front is lifting up their left leg, the one in the back is doing the same and the right and they're, they're marching in step. And he's saying this, if we are gonna be Christians, if we're gonna be followers of Jesus who, who, who follow the Spirit, let us keep in step with him. Let us not deviate to the right or to the left and say, you know what would be really good if we went this way? And no, no, our eyes are fixed on the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God says that he wants all people to be saved. So the moment I am living contrary to that desire, the desire of my father, that is when I'm leaving the path that he has set before me. The reason why you are running into obstacles right now is perhaps because you have lost focus of where the Holy Spirit is going, that you're not keeping in step with him. You are 10 steps behind. Today, the Holy Spirit's desire is for you to, to refocus and say, God, I want to keep in step with you. You're the one who holds the plans. You've got the blueprints for your family and for this church. Can we just, 
as we close right now, can we just lift up our hands? God, the first thing you desire to do in this place is to enlarge the site of our tent. As we see in Isaiah 54, you want us to enlarge the site of our tent, meaning where we currently are cannot hold or contain the blessing you desire to bring. So we just submit ourselves to you in this moment. And we say, Lord, make us ready to receive the increase. We know that we start with rejoicing. We rejoice before we receive, but we pray in this season as we are enlarging the size of our tent, the sight of our tent, that that it would first start with you enlarging the size of our heart, that you would give us a heart for those around us. That when we go to work and we go to school and when we go to and fro, that we would recognize we are called on mission. That we would see all people saved. Father, I pray that this week you would give each and every one of us just incredible encounters. That they would just be natural. That they wouldn't feel forced or awkward. That there would not be someone like we go up to him like, hey, do you, do you, do you know about Jesus? And put like a pamphlet in their hands. But, but that we would have actual encounters with people. That you would give us an opportunity to encourage. That we wouldn't be hateful or hasty but that we would be kind and loving and gracious and truthful. That you would give us boldness to accomplish what you've called us to. Whether we've served you for a day or this is our millionth day, we pray for you to enlarge the sight of our tent. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Friends, may you go and love people this week. He's doing great things. Amen? Amen. We'll see you guys. God bless you.